One of the things that I love about Aquarius Home Services is that they are always growing. Their motto is earning the right to be recommended, and that applies to their associates as well. Many of their new associates come from their employees telling family and friends what a great place it is to work. So guys and gals, if you're looking for a great place to work, a place that has a fantastic work culture, check out Aquarius. They have opportunities in service and sales for water treatment, heating and cooling, plumbing and electrical, and they are looking for great people to join the team. You can also find more information at AquariusHomeServices.com, and don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Welcome to this week's edition of The Worst Seats in the House with Michael Russo. I'm Anthony LaPanto. We invite you to stay tuned at the end of the show. I had a chance to chat with TRIA doctor, Dr. Brad Nelson, one of the Wilds team physicians, about the challenges of keeping a team healthy at this time of the season. It's been a challenge all year long for Minnesota. They haven't had necessarily the major injury, but they've been battling injuries here and there throughout the entire season and tonight's game in Toronto is no different. Michael Russo joins from Toronto. Michael, you're the lucky one on this show. You get to be traveling with the team north of the border while we're calling the games remotely for this trip. Yeah, it's a it's a shame. Trust me, it's a it's a little lonely I realized without the broadcasters on, on the road but I uh, <laughs> really had a Anthony, I had a great, great dinner last night. Uh, so there's, you know, you know how, uh, and, and probably a lot of Minnesotans that listen to this or people that listen to podcasts know that the keg is sort of a staple throughout Canada. I mean, every single city has this, uh, this steakhouse called the keg and there's multiple kegs and multiple in, in, in cities. Well, I, I kind of went to the, I think what was the flagship last night and it's in an old mansion and it's called the keg mansion. And uh, we sat on the second floor. I went with Elliot Friedman, Pierre Lebrun, and Dan Myers. And we sat on the second floor and we watched the Stars and the uh, and the Jets play and the Canadians. And it was just a real fun time. Um, you know, the normal keg menu, but just the the ambiance of this mansion. Um, you know what it reminded me of, Anthony? Remember when we went to Wellington 570? And uh, I think it was 570. Um, what is yes. the area code in Winnipeg? I don't remember Whatever the, the number, but it's it was the Wellington, yep. yes. Yeah, and that place was awesome. And remember, it was like in an old, almost like mansion or Victorian home, and that's what this place was yesterday. Yeah, that's well, that's one of the things I miss. There's a couple of these cities on this trip that are my favorites to visit. Toronto's one of them, Calgary's another. We've had some great nights in those towns over the years, some great meals. And in Toronto, I always like to go out to visit our buddy Sharkman to head out to Greek Town. And yeah. we went to Little Portugal a couple of years ago for a, a great meal out there. And I've had some good meals in the Little Italy area and in his neighborhood in Greek Town. That's those are among the things I miss about not being with yeah. the team. Not to mention trying to call the games off the monitor and not being around the team when there's a lot going on with this team right now. Yeah. By the way, didn't he send us to a restaurant that burned down once? Well, it was a bar we went to. It was the Detroit Eatery, and it was a bar we went to after dinner, and then. That's right. I think you were with us when we went to Little Portugal. We had already been to the Detroit Eatery on a previous trip, and it was a cool little bar owned by a couple guys that 
were one of them was from Detroit. The other guy was just a big Red Wing fan. And it had some of the best Red Wing memorabilia in this little hole in the wall bar. So we had gone to dinner out in Greektown. And he said, well, before you head back to downtown, he wasn't there at the time. He said, you have to go visit the Detroit eatery. And I know Chad was with me and uh, Mike Greenlay. I can't remember if you were with or not, but when we walked in the door, as soon as we walked in, the guy turned to us and he said, you've got to be Lineman's buddies. And he immediately <laughs> poured four beers. He said, Tom only drinks 500s. The, it was his beer of choice. So here you go. I think you were with us that time. but then Yeah, I think so. I know, Ch- I know Chad and Mike were. But then a couple of years later, we went to go back there after we had been out for dinner somewhere else. And again, Tom wasn't with us. And when we got there, the place had burned to the ground. And yeah, uh, in fact, later I tried to help, I helped donate a couple things to an auction to try to help them fundraise because they just, lo- they lost everything, lost their, yeah. they lost their, all their memorabilia, lost their, the restaurant, the business. And I went through a couple buddies of mine in Detroit to help get them to at least some stuff they could replace their Detroit memorabilia with. Yeah. Brutal. Um, and by the way, that Wellington Steakhouse, it's 529 Wellington Steakhouse, and it is in a restored mansion in, in uh, Winnipeg. So if you're ever in Winnipeg, go to that place. Another great restaurant that you and I have gone to there is uh, the Carne Italian Steakhouse. Um, remember Marco Scandello was going to send us to a restaurant in, in uh, Montreal, and we asked him about it one day. He's like, oh, by the way, it burned down. We can't go there. Yeah, well, like, it burned down it's like, like a up. supposed mafia hit. Yeah. <laughs> And, it was, and it was, so we ended up going to a, di- we went to a different place luckily, but yeah, he, cause I remember <laughs> I called the place he had recommended the year before he had recommended two places to us. And one of them was to Emma where we have gone a number of times since yeah, and have loved it. The other I called and, and they weren't even open in the winter. So that when the next time I saw him, I harassed him and I said, you sent us to a place that's only open in the summer. And he said, oh yeah, that's right. Cause they, they have a big, big part of it's a deck overlooking the water and, so he said, try this place next time. And so I called that place and then they were closed down due to the explosion in the place. And so I saw him next. I said, what in the world? And he, about two trips later, came back to me on the plane. He said, hey, I found out why that place blew up. They think it was like the mafia that blew it up. <laughs> yep, that's Montreal. So uh, our next live show, by the way, we are going to do three live shows in the month of March. And our next live show is March 15th at Split Rocks in Wyoming. Uh, we were up there uh, once last month. It was an outstanding venue uh, for a podcast. Um, awesome place. So h- please come on up. Uh, w- what was really cool about that place, too, is we got uh, we have such great regulars that come out to Tuttle's. And we will do one show March 28th at Tuttle's, but March 15th and March 22nd at Split Rocks. And I just think, uh, um, you know, it was really neat how we saw some uh, new faces, Anthony. So March 15th, March 22nd at Split Rocks at 7 p.m., March 28th at Tuttle's. So Anthony, yeah, we'll be busy as touring the Twin Cities for these podcasts. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, so um, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the team. A uh, bit of a bit, a bit of a funk right now. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's just it's not so much a funk; it's just very very inconsistent. You know, now they're for the first time this season in sort of that win two, lose one, win one, lose one patterns and. The one common denominator, I think, with all these games, Anthony, and I'm wondering if you see the same thing watching these games, uh, you know, on the on the monitor back in the Twin Cities, is that they're just super, super loose right now um, in every zone. Uh, offensive zone, they're turning pucks over, not a lot of puck support. Neutral zone, not very tight. 
and defensive zone extremely loose. Um, uh, yesterday, Dean Evason really tried to, um, in a lot of ways, um, you know, deflect, protect um, a lot of the blame from Cam Talbot. You know, he, Cam, as he always is, very accountable, Anthony. On the first goal, he said, look, uh, it was a great shot by Shabbat, but when it's when I have full advantage of seeing a shot, no screen, it's a stoppable puck in his mind. He took uh, full accountability. But on the other hand, Dean Evison just said point blank, it was a horrible defensive breakdown by them. He let Shabbat walk through the gut, and he essentially blamed it, I thought, on Fiala. Um, you know, what, what's your thoughts on just the way the team's playing right now? Well, I think everything you just said is accurate. I, it, it really goes back to the All-Star break. Since they've come out of the break, I mean, I, the Winnipeg game was a 1-0 game, essentially, and it was a power play goal for the Jets, and and that was it. But I thought it was a sloppy game. Then I thought they responded really well, played a great game against Carolina. And since that time, I haven't felt like any of the games have been particularly sharp, maybe with the exception of the Edmonton game, where I really thought they were in control of the game. I wouldn't say it was a terrific lockdown defensive effort, but I thought they were in control of the game from the start. And with that team, once you get up on them, you're probably going to give up a goal here or there just because they're going to take advantage when they're taking extra chances. And the reality is Minnesota did exactly what they were supposed to do and just pounded them. So I, I don't think they've had a I think the game's been what I would call a little bit loose all the way through. You look at the 7-4 win against Detroit. They were slow out of the gates. The 6-3 loss in Winnipeg I thought was sloppy from the beginning. The Florida game, they had a great start, but then for about 50 minutes, I didn't think looked particularly sharp. And Ottawa, I thought, was it was the first time all year watching from afar. I don't know what they looked like in person but I thought it looked like an old team on the back end of back-to-backs. They just yeah. they looked slow. They looked heavy-legged. Every pass seemed to be in the skates and off the heel of a stick and just nothing clicking. And yeah. so I, I just think – I don't think they've looked like themselves. And I wonder a couple things. One is it's hard to play with the kind of energy and emotion – with which they played that stretch going into the break where they were probably as good as they've been all year from the winter classic to the all-star break. It's hard to manufacture that every single night, especially when you face some clubs that are toward the bottom of the standings like Detroit, like Ottawa, maybe even like Winnipeg when you consider that they're not in the playoff picture right now. And I, we, I, I worry that we might see more games like this between here and the finish. It's just, it's going to be difficult to maintain that kind of energy. They know where they are in the standings. They know that, I don't want to say that they're coasting, but they know that they've likely got a playoff spot in their back pocket. And I wonder if we aren't going to see more of this. We'll have to see. I hope not. I hope that they're able yeah. to, to get back on a roll. But it, we might see a couple more like this. Yeah, one thing that concerns me, Anthony, and by the way, I agree with you, like the second and third periods the other night in Ottawa, I thought they played much, much better and should have won the game, but their passing was still terrible. It was just, it really was unbelievable to watch. Um, you, know, you know, the one thing that concerns me, Anthony, is with the number of games that they're playing right now, and look, all teams dealing with this, um, but they uh, just being around them uh, the last week, like you unfortunately ha haven't been able to be around them. I'm watching these guys uh, walk around, and they are there are some severely banged up players right now. Like Zuccarello, I know exactly what's going on with him. He, he's he's banged up. Um, you know, Eriksson Ek uh, limping around badly. Um, 
I don't think Felino's looked himself, and I think a lot of it goes back to that tailbone injury that he that he had in New York City. Um, and now, obviously, we saw Greenway go into the boards awkwardly the other night, and he's not gonna, he's probably not playing tonight in Toronto. Zuccarello is supposed to play, and obviously, these are just the guys that I'm seeing. And you know, you know that these guys aren't 100. percent Yet they're really not in a position where I think they can start giving guys day, days off. But we saw it yesterday, like McKinnon, they've announced, look, he's dealing with a nagging lower body injury. They're going to keep him out of the lineup for right now. And you just wonder, with so many games coming up here, Anthony, um, if they're and, – and not a lot of time to recover, if they're going to have to start to say to guys like Eric Snack, like, sorry, you can't play tonight. Um, you know, I know that would be hard for them, but, but really I think it is a bit of a concern. I think it might be. And the reality is if you look at the way the schedule was set up, it was going to be heavy – from here to the finish anyway. And we're really at the spot after tonight that the schedule is exactly as it was originally laid out. So starting with the game against the Maple Leafs, this is the schedule. And it was going to be heavy all along, but the way it was designed was it was going to be heavy from here to the finish after you had just had three weeks off to basically start this with a full, healthy, rested roster. And instead of having that rest, Minnesota had a series of games plugged in there. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I don't doubt anything that you're saying. These guys are, they're beat up. They're banged up. It's 45 games into an NHL season. And that's usually what happens. I just think it's different this year because everybody's got a heavy condensed schedule from here to the finish. It was designed that way, thinking they would have all been coming off of a break. I don't know if they can afford to, I mean, you're talking about five or six guys. And the reality is, giving them one night off here or there. I don't know if that – you might be talking about a bunch of guys that need a week to just yeah. rest, relax, recover, to get to 100%. And that might be more difficult to do. So the, we've talked a lot about the the guys they've leaned on, the Iowa call-ups that have stepped in so nicely. But the re, you've got five or six of these guys. I don't know how many of them you can afford to take out here or there. Guys might just have to push through it. No doubt, and and uh, and I think we're going to see a lot of practices off, which might compound problems. Like I, I'd almost bet my career that they're not going to practice tomorrow in Calgary, even though they have a uh, they have a uh, scheduled a scheduled practice. Um, by the way, uh, Brandon, I got an awful echo again. Okay, <laughs> so cool. Like I'd almost bet my career, Anthony, that they're going to cancel practice in Calgary tomorrow to fly all night. They're going to leave here. They're going to probably get in, even though they gain a couple hours. I, I think that there's just going to have to be a lot of time coming up here where they don't practice a lot. What do you make of the goaltending right now, Anthony? I mean, you know, I mean, while fans are starting to freak out, I, I get it. I mean, Cam's not as sharp as he was. It's such a fickle, fickle job, Anthony. Like, Wild fans uh, almost seemingly forget that, you know, about a week and a half ago, he was 4-0 with a 9.55 save percentage and had a huge, huge game where he played great against the Carolina Hurricanes, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, and now Capo's coming in tonight. He's still been giving up goals, but they're, but he's winning. And so now Capo will play against Toronto. But what do you make of, of Cam and Capo right now? And is there going to have to come a point now where – uh, they stop messing with it and pick a goalie and just ride him. I don't think they can pick a goalie and ride him. Yeah, right. Ride him might be, but the majority of starts. I'm saying, yeah, perhaps. And I think they've been trying to do that. I think they, I think in an ideal world, as I've said a couple times on recent shows, is I think they would have loved it to be a Talbot two, Kakinen one from here to the finish, and maybe it still will get to that. I think we saw this a little bit with Talbot last year. There was that little stretch where right when he had come back, it 
I don't think he's been as sharp since the All-Star break, without a doubt. But I also think we've seen games where he seems to catch the team at their worst. And I thought the game in Ottawa, you made mention of the first goal, was a perfect example. A goofy defensive zone mix-up in coverage allows Shabbat to walk right down Broadway and beat him. Then the second goal, he goes all the way across from left to right. They lose coverage on the backside. He can't get all the way back across right to left to make the save. The last goal, it looked to me like it hit Addison's stick and ramped up. He goes down to stop the shot. It ramps up, goes over his shoulder off the crossbar and in, where when he's on, that one seems to hit the crossbar and deflect over the top or miss high or something. And I lo- I've always loved the fact that Talbot makes no excuses for any of these and says, hey, I got to make that save. But if you remember last year, he had a game in Vegas where the team was terrible. They gave up six. The next night, Kakanen goes in in Arizona. They were playing a lesser team, and it was a nose-to-the-grindstone, reset, defensive, lockdown effort, and Kakanen gets a 4-1 or 4-0 win, if I remember right, in Arizona. And it just kind of feels like right now tonight, I would bet the Wild come out with a much more disciplined defensive effort tonight after things got loose in Ottawa. And and maybe Kakanen will be the recipient of it. Maybe he'll be a part of it. It just feels like... You're in one of those ruts that we saw a little bit last year. And you're right, though. Cam was brilliant the four starts before the All-Star break. Maybe the best he's played all year. He just hasn't looked quite as sharp coming out. And sometimes it just takes one night where you you make a couple timely saves and a 4-1 to win against a good team, and all of a sudden everything feels right again. Yeah. I I just think the way that they've done it the last little while has been a bit weird. You know, like uh, like Kakanen... You know, usually coaches want to go with the guy that just won, right? I mean, that's just the way all coaches operate. And Akinen's last three victories, he hasn't started the next game. And I just think this rotation is taking both of them out of their rhythm. And I just think there just needs to – I agree with you. You can't ride one goalie to the finish line. There's no way. Like Talbot and Kakinen are going to have to get starts here down the stretch. But it just feels like, look, if they win tonight in Toronto, Kakinen should start in Calgary. And if they win against Calgary – after a couple days off, maybe Kakanen needs to start the home game. And I, I just think they need to start going that way and just stop with the messing around with this because I don't think either can get in a groove right now. And as accountable as Talbot was yesterday, he he admitted that it's been hard for him to get in a groove right now because there's just no, you know, there's very little playing back-to-back. They've only done it once in the last 11 games, you know, or consecutive games, well, I should say. If you look ahead, I think you really have to start to make the decision – I don't know what the right decision is. Who's the guy that you want to be your guy when you get to the playoffs? And maybe they're trying to figure that out right now. But I I think I'd say the last month, maybe month and a half, I think there's enough games left where you could still wait for that. But then you have to start to say, all right, if we want him to be ready and at his best game, one of the playoffs first week of May, what do we do in the three or four weeks leading up to that to make sure that happens? Is it two out of every three games? Is it every other game? Whatever the answer might be, I think you have to figure that out. Not totally unlike a a baseball team that says, we know we're in, here's what we want our starting rotation to be then, so we're going to backtrack it two, three, four starts from there to make sure that everybody is ready. And maybe that's what you do with Talbot. Maybe it's what you start to do with all these guys that are a little beat up is – and. I don't mean to make it sound like the playoffs are a lock. They're not, but I think it's very likely, it's highly unlikely that Minnesota would miss at this point. And 
you have to there are still things that you're playing for. You're playing for home ice. You're playing for a higher seed and you're just playing for the fact that it's not out of the question to catch the team in front of you yet in the division. So I think all those things are still a factor, but I also think you have to look at it and say, we want to be at our best that first week of May. What do we do between here and there to be ready? Um, everything is about to change. If you've been watching the news, you know that interest rates are likely to rise several times in 2022. That means the time to sell your home is now. Buyers want to buy before rates go up, so they're highly motivated. And if you're holding out because you can't find a place to move to next, well, Christendal Real Estate has the perfect solution to help you. It's their Guaranteed Offer program. Guaranteed Offer means you can sell now while your equity is high, then pick your closing dates so you have more time to buy while interest rates are at historic lows. Bottom line, when interest rates rise, selling opportunities fade. Now is the perfect time to sell your current home and find your new one, but the window is closing fast. By this time next year, don't regret sitting on the sidelines while others perfectly time the real estate market. Act now and take advantage of this unique and once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Join thousands of other homeowners who have already received a guaranteed offer by visiting chrislindahl.com today. That's chrislindahl.com. Some terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Minnesota Propane Association. As always, we're thankful to Kowalski's for being one of our great sponsors on the show. I love it as the place to shop anytime you're having a great meal with special guests or even just dinner for two at home. Kowalski's is the place to go. I told you last week about their buck bucket, and I've since gone back to visit, and it's it's worth the stop. But I love their, right there with it, their cheese and deli counter. As some of you might be aware, we're really into the charcuterie trays right now around our house. And each week I seem to find a new cheese, a new kind of salami. This last week found another version of my favorite salami there, the Red Table Salami. It comes from a local a local farm here in the Twin City area, and it's terrific. So give it a shot at the deli counter at at your local Kowalski's. If you're going to have a great meal, if you're going to have great guests, if you just want to have a special night at home, you got to have the best ingredients, the best food, and the place to go for that is Kowalski's. Let's go to a couple Twitter questions. Um, Johnson from Wisconsin asks, what about trading Talbot and a second for Marc-Andre Fleury? Seems this would solve the capo contract problem, which is absolutely uh, wrong. No offense, Johnson from Wisconsin. And give Wild, uh, the goalie, uh, the Wild a goalie for this year's playoffs. Talbot is streaking in the wrong direction. That would absolutely make the capo contract problem worse. Because Marc-Andre Fleury would not come back next year, and then Kappel would go into the summer thinking he's the number one, and they would have to pay him like Tristan Jury. So that would make it much worse. They need to uh, come back uh, knowing that they have a number one with Kappel if they want to keep that in the 1-8 to 2 range. Um, but what do you think of Fleury? Fleury has been pretty – I mean, the guy's got like a – I think he's – I think last I looked, Cam Talbot was like 30th in the league in save percentage, and Marc-Andre Fleury was like an inch above him. Um, like Mark has not had a good year. I have zero interest in Flurry. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. Uh, They have other issues that I think they should address. Um, One thing, one uh, rumor I'd love to put to bed, um, Brian G. asks, uh, what are the odds the Wild add anyone with term at the trade deadline? Read a Josh Bailey rumor, but he has two more years at $5 million per. Uh, This apparently was a fourth period report. Uh, The Wild have no interest in Josh Bailey. They have no interest in a right wing with two years left at $5 million. That is uh, zero truth to that. Um, But, um, Anthony, you know, I am starting to wonder if they will at this point, after seeing where the blue line has played without Matt Dumba here the last little bit and how erratic Jordy Ben has been, don't you think that maybe adding a depth blue liner might make sense at this point just to get another NHL body in here? 
It could. It, all of it's, and I don't, I don't mean to make the obvious statement here that it all depends on what the price might Health. be, but that's, yeah. I think, I think that's more the case with the defenseman than with anything else, because I think it would be luxury might be a little bit of an exaggeration. I don't think it's a absolute gotta have it or can't succeed in the playoffs, but if the right guy was out there, I think it would be worth something minor in return just to give yourself a little insurance with another guy. The defensive core has been really good all year. We talked about it a little bit a few broadcasts ago that with all the guys the Wild have missed over the course of the year, Brodine's been out, Spurgeon's been out, Goligoski was out, Merrill missed a couple. The, there was one stretch where Jordy Ben, who was their seventh defenseman, played 27 out of 29 games, meaning that all but two over a stretch of 29, one of the top five was out. And they didn't miss a beat. But I don't think you can lean on that going into the postseason. I think we've seen it with Dumba out here that they really need to have their top four, maybe even go so far as to say their top six intact if they're going to be a factor in the postseason. Maybe So maybe a veteran guy would help. I think you have to see more of Addison. I think he's been fine. I don't think he's been great, but I don't think he's been terrible. I think he's been fine these couple games, and maybe with a little more experience, he becomes a more viable option as a sixth, as a replacement in your top six if somebody goes down. Yeah, um, I, I know that this is your favorite subject, but I did this big Kevin Fiala story with Shana Goldman from The Athletic today, and um, and trust me, it was a, a lot of work. It was really examining the Wilds' cap situation and what it comes down to uh, if they want to re-sign Kevin Fiala. A lot will depend, as you just sort of said, with price with a trade. It's going to depend on what Kevin Fiala wants. If he wants six and a half, seven million, he probably will have to be traded. Six might be doable. But with the one thing that we did when we figured all this out, Anthony, it really does come down to uh, probably Fiala or Dumba. They've got to make a choice this summer between the two of them. There's really no other way to make it work. The only other way would be to come back with both of them next year. And when you do all the math, depending on what Kakanen gets, Dewar gets, Fiala gets, you are going to be crammed right up to the cap, and it would be extremely hard to operate next year. Um, so I really, unless, by the way, you're trading for a guy that you can put on LTIR or something like that, but... Um, it sure feels like it's going to come down to one of those two. But I uh, listened to Bill Guerin or sort of snippets of what Bill Guerin said on the radio yesterday when when um, uh, Dan Barrero asked about uh, Kevin Fiala and my story. And the one thing that I mean, the one thing that Bill definitely uh, said is that which I've contended all along is that they're not trading Fiala in season. He's just playing too well. But he certainly made it sound like this is going to have to be something that's going to have to be addressed this offseason, Anthony. Without question, and it's I, – I love the topic. It, I, I still I still keep going back to the, the – if there's a – if both sides want to make it work, there's a way to make it work. And let's just wait till the offseason to have the discussion because right now right. there's absolutely no chance that there's any move made involving Kevin Fiala or Matt Dumba yeah, during I, the season. Yeah, and, like I don't know I think where this is all coming from. Like, I think it's almost people just misunderstanding the whole situation here. Like, they're not trading Kevin Fiala in season. Um, it just, it, I mean, that would make no sense. That would be the, that would disrupt the, you know, like, like they keep on talking about not wanting to, to ruin the chemistry of this team. Trading Kevin Fiala would not be a, a way to, to uh, achieve that, that's for sure. Well, nor would it make you tougher to beat in the playoffs. I mean, that's, no, exactly. that's the biggest thing here. I mean, right now, 
I think it's been so evident that this team is different with the Fiala-Boldy combination. This team is different in terms of where they fit among the best in the NHL. And you can make the debate, you can argue whether or not Freddie Gaudreau is the right guy between them. I think he's been fine. In fact, I think he's been really good here over the last few games. And we've talked so much about how Matt Boldy changed Kevin Fiala's game. Having Boldy and Fiala together have changed Gaudreau's game. And he looks like a totally different player. And I think right now you start to look at this club and say, we've talked about the depth, meaning third and fourth line, and might have the best checking line in the league, might be getting as much or more production from their fourth line when Bukestad's back in there. But I'm not sure there are very many of the contenders in the West that now have two scoring lines that you'd say are clearly better than Minnesota's top two. Colorado's number one line, for sure. Colorado's one and two, maybe slightly, but other than Colorado, point to a team in the West that's got two better scoring lines than Minnesota's top two lines when all those guys are healthy. I'm not sure there is one. No, I agree with you there. Um, what do you, uh, you know, obviously Joe Pavelski, it looks like he's going to resign in Dallas. That's uh, Jim Nill has been public about that. Obviously, they still got to get it done, but it sure feels like it's trending that way. Um, Clojureau is the really the only other guy there, as we've talked about many, many times. He doesn't play center in Philly, but takes a lot of draws. Great in the faceoff circle. Will still cost a first-round pick, which I don't think Bill Guerin wants to trade, even though I think it's going to be a low uh, low you know, 20s uh, and hopefully more, right, <laughs> if they went, went to the promised land. Um, and a top, top prospect um, for a guy they can't resign. When I talked to Bill Guerin, when I listened to him on Barrero yesterday, it sure seems like he doesn't ap- have an appetite for that. Hurdle, uh, San Jose is still trying to resign. The cost for him is going to be super, super expensive. Um, there's really no other centers out there that really um, – is, you know, to me appealing. I mean, there's Jared McGann, which I believe Bill Guerin has respect for, but there's really not a lot of other guys, you know, Cop, Stasny, that's not better than Goudreau. Um, you no. know, what's your, what's your, I mean, what, do you think that they have to start instead of worrying about the center situation, just say, hey, you know, you know, one, one thing I'll say also is that you, they're going to try to sign, they're going to probably sign Jack McBain, who, you know, I think is more of a winger, but can play center. And look, they are going to, I think, go after uh, Ben Myers hard and try to uh, say to him that you could play on this team this year as a way to recruit him. I mean, what do you think of those maybe being sort of like the, the, the trade deadline pickups? I like him just as much or more than any of the veteran guys about whom we've spoken. And Because I think that sometimes with trades, at the trade deadline in particular, where sometimes the value gets skewed is that people look at just the player. And they say, let's use Claude Giroux as an example. What's Claude Giroux worth? Is he worth a a number one and a prospect? What you're really trading for is the difference between Freddie Gaudreau and Claude Giroux or the difference between Connor Dewar and Claude Giroux or wherever you think he might slot into your roster. And that difference is a lot smaller than the player just coming in to fill a vacant spot. Let's say for whatever reason, you only had 11 forwards on your team and you were filling a donut hole with this player. That's different. So the difference between the player that you're going to replace in your lineup and the player you acquire is really where you have to assess the value. And I don't think for me, I would not give a high prospect and a number one pick for any of those rental centers. The only reason I'd consider giving away my number one pick 
is the point you made that it's likely to be a very low first round pick and hopefully even lower than where it appears right now. If that were the case, that's the only reason why I'd even consider it. But I love the idea of perhaps a younger player coming off of a college season or, or minor league season or whatever it might be to say, Hey, let's, let's throw one of these guys in if needed as a depth guy that might provide a little energy, a little jump. And I have no idea if those guys are ready to play in the NHL on a regular basis. And they're certainly, you know, we're not, I'm not trying to say that they're better players than Joe Pavelski or Tomas Hurdle or Claude Giroux, but at the price, I think they might be a better fit for what you're doing. And I just think so many times people look at what just the player is rather than who's he going to bump from the lineup and what's it going to do to all the other spots when you bring a guy in. And for that reason, I just would be really hesitant to give away major pieces for the players that you're talking about, especially just because of assuming everybody stays healthy that you have right now. If somebody were to go down with a long-term injury that created more of a hole in your lineup, then we're having a different discussion. Yeah, I agree. To me, the only one worth if if he was available of actually considering for rental giving up that type of price would be a Pavelski because I actually think that he would come in and fit in uh, quite well the type of person he is you know I, I, I this is one area where it really depends on the player right I mean I you know my my belief is that this team has so many prospects that they that you can use one or two as an asset I know that would pain uh, Bill Guerin to do that but. Uh, but, you know, that's my opinion. I don't think that he shares the same exact opinion uh, for a guy that he can't resign. But uh, we'll see. Um, got one question here. Apparently, um, Lunani said on, on uh, Barrero last week that he'd be pretty interested in Christian uh, Dvorak. Uh, so Josh asked, what would the cost be in a trade and would he replace Goudreau on that line? Um, I think that would be uh, something that isn't cost uh, – I, I don't think they could do it. I mean, first of all, Christian Dvorak is having a miserable year. He seems to be always hurt, um, and he's got three years left at 4.45 AAV with um, two of those years making an actual salary, 5.725. Um, makes no sense. I don't see how you could do it. We're, we're talking about how they can't – that they're going to have to this summer decide between Fiala and Dumba. Now, all of a sudden, you add a $3 million injury-prone center at 4.45. Uh, three years left at 4.45. That makes no sense. Wouldn't you agree? I agree with the contract. I don't mind Dvorak as a player, but I don't think it may, I don't think you can make that work. They can't and, afford it. Yeah. No, those are the kind of decisions that general managers have to make because they have to be considering everything, all those other ramifications yeah. in future years. And yeah, you know, I'm Dvorak not sure having a miserable year yeah. this year is, is legit, but he is in Montreal where everybody's having a horrible year. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of liked him the last couple of years in Arizona. He was, you know, I think close to 20 goal score, maybe close to 40 point guy and was a good faceoff guy. He was always 52, 53, 55% on faceoffs. I think he brings something of interest, but I just don't think the contract fits. Yeah. You, you, uh, last year he did have 17 goals in 56 games. So, you know, almost a 30 goal pace, uh, two years ago, 18 goals in 70. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always liked him as a player, but that three years, I mean, I'm sure that Louie was probably not looking at, at, the Wilds cap situation versus what Christian makes. You know, Christian's contract at four four five is not horrible by any stretch, but it is for the Wild. Um, they just I don't see how you can make it work. Um, Hockey Dad asks if the Wild make no trades, do either of you seeing them playing Marco Rossi before the playoffs? Um, 
Mar you know, I, I don't know how I could say this more often. Marco Rossi will not play more than 10 games this year. So it's just when you, if you want to give him sev uh, seven more games, it's just when you want to give him the seven. Do you do it in the playoffs? Do you do it before the playoffs? Um, we'll see. Um, but they are not going to play Marco more than 10 games, especially now that uh, their cap situation, they, you know, they added Greenway at three, um, signed Merrill at one, two. They really, um, if you do the math on what we did today, um, they've got to, you know, they're going to have to decide between Fiala and Dumba. And I'm just telling you that they, they are in an hour position with what they're going to have to pay Boldy on a bridge deal that they need Marco's contract to coincide with the end of the Parisi Suter buyout. So, um, you know, I'm not just saying this flippantly. It's, it's something that I have a pretty good uh, sense of. So um, any thoughts on that? Well, there's not there's no there's no question. They can't afford to do it unless they absolutely had to. And it wouldn't shock me if let's say the last game of the regular season, they brought him up, threw him in maybe the last two with the thought, let's get him a little taste of this. And, yeah, you know, there are so like many. I, think, yeah. I just think there's so many spots where it would have to be a crazy sequence of events to all of a sudden say, we're in a position in this year's playoff where we think it's worth however tight it's going to make us in the future to, to make that move. And I think it would have to be, I mean, it would have to be something like we're on the verge of making it to the finals and three guys just got hurt and he's our best option. It's something that bizarre in order to make you say, this is going to be expensive and it's going to be painful in the future, but we have to be willing right now. We're in a spot that we don't, we'll never be in a better spot. So let's take a shot. And I'm and sure, look, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought him up at the end to give him a little taste of things yeah. at, toward the end, had him skate with the team into the playoffs and, and be with the team and practice and all of that and experience what playoff hockey is all about in the locker room and that kind of thing. But I just don't think there's no chance unless it's bizarro world that he plays more than 10 games. Yeah, and look, I'm sure this is frustrating for for Marco, um, but he's a 20 year old, and um, you know he he's going to just have to deal with this. I mean, this is you know for the for the history of NHL, a lot of times contracts determine everything, and um, you know, and that's what it is. What's going on here now? Um, you know, the other part of this is development. Like he is going to. I'd be shocked if he doesn't make the team at a camp next year. They're going to one need him. Um, um, and I think he's going to be ready. And I think that one one reason why Bill Guerin feels this way, I, you know, I saw a couple tweets, like, or even comments on some of my articles on the map on Matt Boldy and the way he's playing. Like, this is one uh, this is one uh, topic that the fans were always right about that Matt Boldy was ready. Well, I think if you you could turn that the other way too, Anthony, and say, well, actually, Bill Guerin was right. Um, by letting him play and play and play and develop in the minors till he was absolutely ready to step in full-time into the NHL. And now you see him, he's a point-of-game player, at least to start his career. And I think that Bill Guerin's going to follow that same template with Marco Rossi. Let him play and play and play in the minors, and then all of a sudden you elevate him to the NHL when he's ready to play, not when he's dipping his toes in and learning in the NHL how to be an NHL player. And so... You know, I, I think that this is part of the development process, too, um, in terms, you know, in addition to, obviously, the contract situation. I think that's true. And then throw in the fact that this guy's still just basically three or four months back from having almost two years off and give him a year, give him an off season to get stronger, to get himself into the best playing shape he can possibly be. I think we're going to see a different player next September in training camp than what we saw this year. And what we saw this year was a player with 
tremendous upside, and we saw flashes of unbelievable skill and have seen it even in his brief call-ups of the season. But given an offseason to get his body back to where it may be normal, closer to where it would have been had he been healthy since his draft year, and I think we might see something totally different next September. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. The holidays have come and gone, and despite your best intentions, so has your motivation to lose weight. Trust me, I know, I've been there. But don't despair because my friends over at Profile have a solution for you. Profile makes losing weight easy. Designed by doctors to take the guesswork out of weight loss, Profile has helped thousands of people like me, and they can help you too. It's a great time to get started right now. They have awesome coaching, awesome food, awesome Profile food plans, and uh, they just lead you the way. It's just absolutely awesome. Visit ProfilePlan.com slash Twin Cities and launch your transformation today. Tell them that Russo sent you. That's ProfilePlan.com slash Twin Cities. The Sheriff family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. You know who's in uh, Toronto right now? Eric Stahl. So um, he, he's, happen- he's staying at the Wild Hotel. I got wind of this yesterday, and I texted somebody with the organization. I'm like, uh, now, are you sure that Eric Stahl is not about to sign with you guys? Because, because uh, you know, I hear he's, at your, he's staying at your hotel, and it turns out he just has an immigration issue that he's dealing with uh, trying to get back to the United States from Beijing. So, but it was so funny. So I'm sure he hung out with his uh, former teammates. So I said, you know, another funny thing that happened to me the other day, Anthony, I didn't even tell you about it. You would have loved this scene. Because you know how um, how I'm just like, you know, I can't even change a light bulb, right? So uh, Sarah McClellan and right. I ice skate to our car. And uh, we both have like, you know, SUVs. We happen to park next to each other in the media lot in Ottawa the other day. An ice storm starts in the afternoon. So essentially after the game, we have to like ice skate to our, to our cars. And you should have seen the two of us. And my back is feeling it right now. Like I am worried that I actually did something to my herniated disc because I'm having just sharp pains in my lower back. But you should have seen us carving the ice off all our windows. Like I don't, like I've had to carve ice off windshields before and, and windows and things like this. This thing was, it's unbelievable. It was like just, it was a sheet of ice on every window. And it, I mean, it took us a half hour to get the ice off our cars. It was unreal. And, you know, you'd handle that as well as anybody. So that is shocking. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so I do think that uh, I do think that if you saw this scene, you would have actually had a you would have just laughed at your ass off. by just like, you know, it's like there was a camera on the two of us. Like at one point I said to her, like, so you wanted to be a sports writer. Like what a glamorous life. You know? <laughs> you know? It was just 
It was so funny. I mean, the, it was just on. And I, I, by the way, you would have probably loved to be on the wild plane that night. I heard they got de-iced. It took them like two hours to get de-iced. Because just imagine that plane was sitting out in that ice storm, you know? So I would have just, just slept. You know that. I've, I've slept through just <laughs> about anything like on those planes before. Yeah, the, I think I've shared the story with you before where we were coming home from New Jersey a couple of years ago. And it was a bad storm. There were some questions as to whether we'd get out of New Jersey. And we took off from Jersey, and I fell asleep, I think, before we even left the ground. And all of a sudden, I woke up to the thump when we landed. And I get up, and I'm grabbing stuff out of my overhead bin, and everybody around me is looking at me. I'm the only one standing up. And I was like, "What? what's going on? And I think it was Kevin Gorg, who from a couple rows behind, says, you can leave your stuff up there. We're in Detroit, dumbass. And we had apparently gotten close to the cities, and it was so turbulent that the plane had turned around and gotten rerouted to land in Detroit to wait until the storm cleared. Yeah, it was coming. Yeah. And and Kevin said it was the bounce. Like, we were making U-turns in the air. It was so bouncy. Everybody else is white-knuckling and hanging onto their seat, and you're sound asleep during the whole thing. And I, I didn't wake up until the plane hit the ground. And he said, they're making announcements that we're going to turn, we're going to go to Detroit. And so we sit on the runway in Detroit, and I fell asleep again while we were on the runway. The next time I woke up was when we hit the ground in the Twin Cities. And I looked around and said, are we home this time? And everybody started, they were just shaking their heads. They said, it was the roughest landing we've ever had. And they, and uh, Kevin said that at one point you actually like bounced out of your seat where you were airborne and just landed back in your seat and still didn't wake up. So I think I would have just slept through the de-icing process. That's, uh, that's, I mean, you're unreal that way. Like I was on a plane flying from Ottawa, uh, to Toronto yesterday. And like, I'm always amazed at people that could just conk out on planes. Cause I don't think I've slept on a plane in my life. And Sarah McClellan is one of those people. Like I've flown with her probably 10 different times in the last like three weeks. It feels like, and every single time she's lights out the second we get on there, I just think it's hilarious. I wish I could do that. Very envious. Remember, uh, I was able quickie. to sleep through the fire alarm in Vancouver. Yeah. They evacuated the yeah. hotel and I was able to sleep through that too. So it's, I've been known once I fall asleep to be able to stay asleep. Uh, a couple quickies to close. Um, somebody asks if uh, Wallstat will probably play in the AHL next year to coincide with essentially the end of Talbot's contract in a year and maybe go with a Kacken and Wallstat tandem in two years. I think that's very possible. Um, I do think that's very possible. Um, I think that I'd be shocked if they don't sign Wallstat after this year and he comes over. Uh, to play in the AHL next year at least and maybe even get some NHL games. Um, Nikolai, this is a good question, Anthony, that we haven't addressed. Uh, Nikolai asks, what's up with Hartman lately? He doesn't like look like his usual self. I, I totally agree. Um, not only just not scoring, don't you agree he's you know, turning pucks over and just hasn't been nearly as energetic? I think he looks like he's pressing. And yeah. there, we were watching a practice. It was the first practice coming out of the All-Star break the night they flew to Winnipeg. And I was watching him that day, and you could tell he was frustrated that he wasn't scoring, even in practice. He would miss a couple good scoring chances. He had he had a crossbar on one play that I vividly remember where he, the goalie was out of position, and he had a one-timer from a cross-ice pass, and he hit the crossbar. And just the way he reacted to it led me to believe it was a player that was squeezing it a little bit right now, where he just... 
I think maybe in the back of his mind, he was thinking that, boy, earlier in the year, I didn't miss any of those. And now it feels like I can't shoot one into the ocean. And I think maybe that's bleeding over a little bit into the rest of his game just because he's he's feeling the pressure of not finishing and not scoring. I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it, so I'm just going out body language. And I agree with you that I think there's – it looks like a guy who's frustrated. I'm not sure that he is, or I certainly don't think it's lack of effort, and I don't even know that I'd say lack of energy. I just think it's – the energy looks different when the passing is crisp. Everybody looks faster. And – I think maybe he's just been a little off with that, and therefore it it hasn't looked quite right. But one of the one of the Twitter questions that I, a few people asked about it, and uh, we don't need to get into the the situation in the world, but there are a lot of questions about these kind of things when, like, what's happening in the Ukraine, and we certainly our thoughts are out to all the innocent people who are affected by this. But how that affects players from that part of the world inside the wild room. Have you sensed anything with that? Is there any no. concern where people are worried about family back there or, yeah. or even what's happening politically? Um, I'm sure there is. Uh, but, you know, you know that basically we're not in the room. Um, obviously, Kaprizov doesn't speak English to us. Um, and when we do get him, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, sort of. Uh, you know, it's through translator, all that stuff. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure that that this has got to be super stressful for him, and hopefully, we can get him in the coming days. We haven't asked Kulikov about it either, but you know, I remember talking to Ilya Brzgalov. Uh, Chad Graf and me actually had long conversations with Ilya Brzgalov about the situation between Russia and Ukraine back when Brzgalov played for the team, and it's just going to be, I think, awfully hard for these guys to communicate exactly what they feel. We've seen, you know, either either side. Right, it, it like Ovechkin comes out a couple of years ago, uh, pro Putin, and he got absolutely slaughtered for it. And then Panarin got, you know, was pretty much uh, said some things that on his mind a couple of years ago and had to leave the team because he was worried about his life and his family's life. So, um, you know, I think that it's going to to get actual candid stuff from Kulikov or Kaprizov on this. I think is going to be awfully difficult, but I'm sure that they're super worried because they have family back overseas and things like that. And hopefully in the coming days we can get them. Although Kulikov lives here uh, full-time uh, in, the, in the United States, I believe in Florida in the off-seasons. Um, um, but, you know, obviously he has family back in Russia. And, and uh, hopefully at some point we can have a conversation with them, but I'm not sure how, um, how, how candid they'll be. Right, and I'm not. I don't think they'd necessarily offer their opinions, but you know that that it has to be weighing in the backs of their minds, and there's there has to be some there have to be some ties to people back there, and even just the comments you just made about Panarin having to leave a team because he was fearful for his safety and his family's safety because of his opinions. Uh, guys will be careful about that, but if that's what they're worried about, is I can't say anything about this for fear of what might happen, then you know it's weighing on their minds and. You know, it's who knows exactly. I, I have no idea what their connections might be to anybody in that part of the world, but I'm I'm certain that they have them, and hopefully this doesn't. Hopefully it doesn't hit any closer to home for any of these players than what it already has. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, a uh, fun podcast as usual, Anthony. Uh, thanks to all our sponsors. Again, our next live show, uh, March 15th at Split Rocks in Wyoming. Um, stay tuned to listen to uh, Anthony's conversation with Dr. Brad Nelson from TRIA. And thanks to our sponsors, uh, TRIA, Kowalski's, Profile by Sanford, Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Treatments, Christendahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, and Minnesota Propane Association. Talk to you next week, Anthony.
We're joined by Dr. Brad Nelson from Tria Orthopedics, one of the many doctors that is involved with the Minnesota Wild over the course of the season. Dr. Nelson, thanks for joining us today. And you get to this time of year, and it's a challenge keeping guys healthy and keeping guys on the ice every night, isn't it? Yeah, certainly this is a challenging time of the year. I think uh, there are some wear and tear issues that hit the guys and then some injury things. And uh, this time of the season with so many games, uh, it it can really uh, be a challenge keeping the guys on the ice. It was going to be a very condensed run to the finish anyway, even with the existing schedule. Then when they add all those games in in February where a team and some players were really expecting to get some time off, do you recommend any adjustments to them as they get prepared for this stretch run to try to keep guys fresh, keep guys healthier down the run, down the run to the finish? Yeah, I think uh, what what happens a little bit is our strength and conditioning coaches uh, make some adjustments. I think in the some of the workouts, uh, I, I think there's some adjustments made uh, in uh, practice schedules. You know, from the athletic trainer staff and the and the medical staff, I think there's a lot of attention being paid to you know, work in the training room on soft tissue uh, issues if needed. I think we all recognize uh, that this is a difficult time of the season and it's a bit of all hands on deck to try to keep the guys feeling well. There's always going to be the wear and tear type injuries and the, and guys then that suffer more acute injuries where you're trying to get them back. How involved does Tria get with the rehab process for some of the players, any particular player that might suffer an injury? Yeah. So we, you know, obviously have a very experienced athletic training staff that deals with uh, the rehab with the players most of the time. Uh, The issue is when the team goes on the road, all of our athletic training staff goes on the road with the team And if any of the players are left behind because they're injured uh, and need rehab, we have uh, a physical therapist who uh, is an experienced uh, therapist who will go over to the uh, TRIA practice facility and work with the players so they don't miss a beat when the training staff is out of town. You're dealing with a couple guys who host this show who have had a pretty tough season with injuries ourselves. And I know some of you guys deal with the pro athletes, but also deal with people in the general public that suffer major injuries like Michael Russo with his sore back. And I can give him a little grief for that. And I've had a champagne cork to the eye and a couple broken ribs so far this season. But you deal with people of all from all walks of life, too, not just the pro athletes. Yeah, that's true. In fact, you know, obviously most of my job is dealing with pretty much knee and shoulder problems of uh, the everyday Joe, lots of uh, weekend warriors. Obviously, this time of year, you know, we see a fair number of injuries from skiing and people that are a little bit older. You know, high school sports are going full blast right now. So I'm seeing, you know, high school hockey players or basketball players that are getting injured. Uh, So this time of year is actually uh, kind of busy. There's been a lot of talk over the last few years about increases in injuries for athletes at that age level that you just referred to high school level. And many people assume that some of it has to do with specialization in sports overuse. Have you seen a spike in that over the last few years that you'd attribute at least in part to athletes 
specifically spending more and more of their time on one sport? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true, particularly uh, the younger athletes who uh, specialize and then get involved with some, you know, high intensity training programs. You know, I think obviously the uh, example that we see the most is uh, elbow problems in young uh, baseball players, particularly pitchers, you know, where they're playing on a couple, three different teams and, and they're working with throwing coaches and they can really develop some fairly significant uh, elbow problems. Uh, and then just even with uh, soccer uh, and hockey players, if, if they're playing all year round, and, and some kids are playing more than one sport, but they're playing those sports year round, they just have so much exposure uh, and they end up getting uh, ACL injuries or shoulder dislocations just because they're doing so much competition. Well, Dr. Nelson, we always appreciate the time, appreciate the chat. Good luck keeping the guys healthy from here to the finish. Yeah, thanks. And we're excited. It, It should be a great finish to the year. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. All but the world won't forgive Cause you know how, um, how I'm just like, you know, I can't even change a light bulb, right?